Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Today on the show, we have my friend Jessica Hish. This is part two. I interviewed her a few years ago for the show. She comes back to grace us with her incredible creative career wisdom. If you don't know Jessica Hish, what are you doing with your life? My goodness, Jessica, uh, you, you know, this is one of those situations where I am fortunate enough to have someone who was kind of like a digital mentor to me. I mean, she didn't know it, but I was following her career even before we met, learned so much about how to craft really fantastic personal projects from her and uh, listened to her talks and just learned so much from her and then met her in person, became friends, and here we are uh, several years after the fact. Jessica Hish, if you don't know her, uh, what, what's what's going on? She, you know, this person, she's worked with a few companies. You might have heard of them. Things like Apple, Nike, NPR, Vanity Fair, Washington Post. Wes Anderson, she created the font for the film Moonrise Kingdom. I mean, it can't be beat. And now, she's that wasn't enough. She had to become a New York Times bestselling kids author and illustrator with her book, Tomorrow I'll Be Brave. It is freaking gorgeous. If you got any kids in your life, even if you don't, go on the computer or go in your 
local bookstore, go find this book and just buy a bunch of copies and then just go out on the street and start handing them out. Nobody will be upset with you. This thing is freaking gorgeous. My kids love this book. We're waiting for the follow-up, but I got to uh, sit down with Jessica and talk her through what she learned through the process of making this book, as well as just catch up on some general uh, creative career quandaries and what have you. We, you know, just talk shop and whatnot and have just a conversation okay that's what we do and you're gonna enjoy it here she is the wonderful the magnificent jessica hish audio weirdo they get very serious about audio yeah these kind of people i think most people are just fine as long as there's not a bunch of drugs in the back yeah, if it's not yeah, if it's not bonkers, then it's all right. Even if there's a little ambiance, I don't think it. I don't think it matters too oh, much. Oh yeah, yeah. My main thing when listening to anything is as long as everybody's at the same volume, I'm happy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So if you're using the same technique, it's all right. Um, so thanks for doing this. I'm glad. I hope it wasn't hard to get here or anything. No, no. I was like, I had no idea how far away you would be from yeah. Central Columbus. Yeah, not but very, I was like, not this is like bad. 25 minutes or something. No, it's yeah, not bad. yeah. The first, so I have a bunch of things to ask you, obviously. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was going to use the same <laughs> joke I used last time, which is, I heard you're the proud new mother of, and last time I said the printing press. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, and this yeah. time I'm saying <laughs> a New York Times best-selling book. Yeah, it's true. Although it feels like... Even though that's new in terms of the grand scheme of things, it doesn't feel... It feels old news. It feels like old news now just because I've been on this crazy book tour for so long. Does it feel... uh, So does it not have the shininess of a new achievement anymore? Well, I think like the thing that's really amazing about the New York Times thing is that it's one of those evergreen achievements. And it's really hard to have those. And... uh, you know, there's not a lot of those that exist, especially no, in like the design world and things like that. No. Because a lot of the ones that are evergreen for a while are tied to your age. Right. Which yeah, like then, Young Guns or something. Yeah, like yeah. Young Guns or, you know, any of the 30 under 30 stuff, which is super cool if when you're in that zone. Yeah. But then when you start... Then it kind of haunts you later. Past yeah, that right. zone <laughs> and then you're just like, oh, this is actually... I used to be 30 under 30. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. if people are introducing me when I'm like turning 40 as like yeah. someone that was, she was before 30, 30 under 30. 30. I'll be like, uh, no, that just makes me sound like I haven't done anything yeah. in 10 years, you know? So that's, that's the thing that's really, really cool about it. Yeah, that is really cool. I feel like, uh, one of my only things like that, I feel like is working with the New York times and I only did it one time, but I feel like that was one where I was like, all right, I got that for the yeah. rest of my life. No, people totally. can introduce me as I think, I works feel- with people like the New York Times. Like, yeah, yeah I do. Climalists are that. I also feel like if you ever get into any annual, it is that. Right. Like yeah. you don't get more cred for getting in every year, which is why True. like right. I don't actually send stuff every year. I've never sent anything. Yeah. I, <laughs> I bet it's, I think it's because I went to college in England, so I missed the, I never, yeah, I don't know. By the time I got here, I felt like I don't know what this is. I don't know what these yeah. people are doing or whatever, but I think you're right. I so, do it every now and then, you know, yeah. like when Com Arts started doing their typography annual, I was yeah. like, oh, I should probably submit to this. 
But yeah. now I don't really submit the things. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We still, we're, yeah. we're very involved. Um, no, I'm super, uh, <laughs> clearly very community involved. Yeah, up true. to my AIGA yes, membership true. to be like leader level because I'm supposed to. Right. Uh, but yeah, I... I am kind of, I have on and off years of submission just because I just can't stay on top of all that stuff. No. You know, like I, someone was complaining about how they like feel pressure to update their portfolio on a weekly basis or something. On a I'm weekly like, basis? And I was like, oh my God, like I <laughs> yeah. have updated my portfolio like twice in the last four years yeah. and I've only done it out of guilt and I've added like two or three random pieces, not like yeah. the bulk of my work. Yes. So, uh, okay. Uh, the first thing I was going to ask you about is kind of, I, I'm in a, I have ADHD. I don't know if we talked about that last time, oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes I just like to say that at the beginning yeah. of the conversation. I like the meandering conversation. We're good. It's going to go all yeah. over the place. Um, but I heard somewhere, I heard you say that you were quiet growing up. Is that right? Oh, that is true. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. what, so why, I don't think of you as quiet. I don't no. think of probably the people that know you for your work don't probably think of you that way. So why? It was, what, you know, what is it that? was totally fueled by being extremely concerned about what other what other people think. Yeah. You know, and not wanting to disappoint everyone and yeah. just like I think I was so uh receptive and you know, like I just loved adoration and getting praise and being told that I was good and doing things yeah. right that anything that made that not happen, I was absolutely terrified of because I got all of my self-worth yeah. out of what other people said to me. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, do you... Th sorry. I oh, yeah, no, please. You, but do you feel like... Uh, do, you, uh, do you have, like, words of affirmation as, like, a love language? Do you subscribe to that Yeah, 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 yeah. So okay. words of affirmation, they're actually not at the top for me anymore, but I do think that okay. they used to be. yeah. Uh, but they're they're not at the bottom, you right. know. Like yeah, right. <laughs> there's yeah. somewhere there's like some around, growth and change, but yeah, it's still there. Two or okay. three. Yeah. You know, like I definitely still get off on people telling me I'm awesome. Yeah, sure. Um, but I feel like now I need I need it. Yeah. Only when I'm in moments of like self doubt, like a down. I don't moment. need it to maintain. I need it just as a as a fixer. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. When you're feeling particularly low or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why did that, what changed about that then? I think like one thing that changed was just wanting to participate more in yeah. like, you know, society quote unquote <laughs> at large, but also, right. also, uh, you know, when it came to feeling like I finally found a community, like when the design community, like, was present in front of me, yeah. just being like, oh my God, these are my people. Mm. I, I want to be a part of this. And knowing that in order to be a part of it, I couldn't be like a wallflower. Mm -hmm. And then in order to participate, I was just t exchanging with someone a little bit on the internet about this uh, a day or two ago, that I felt so comfortable posting my stuff online and engaging with people online as long as I came from a place of personal experience and personal opinion, not empirical Right. Like, like truth this, these or anything are the like rules that. Or yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah, okay. So, because nobody wants to hear from like a twenty-four-year-old being like, "Here's the best way to manage your life," right. you know. Like, but <laughs> what they do want to hear is like, "Oh, hey, I just learned a new thing. This really helped me in learning this thing. It might help you learn this thing." I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I just learned this thing, this and, and that might be helpful. This yeah. is my experience, and doing that, like, sort of framing it as personal experience is way more bulletproof to criticism. Yeah. 
really helped me. True, and then yeah. when I started looking back at my teenage years and things like that, I was so jealous of the girls, mostly girls, you know, like, because dudes are going to be dudes, whatever. Right. Yeah. But, like, the girls that were my age that seemed to be, like, super alpha yeah. in kind of, like, a bitchy way. Yeah. But, like... It wasn't actually bitchy. It was just they were really good at just laying it out there of what they wanted mm-hmm. and what their ideal thing would be. It's funny and then that everyone it would else... be seen as bitchy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's like a... Maybe it's just a stereotype. I think it's a I stereotype. Guess, yeah. It's a women thing. You know, like, you people know, a lot of people think of assertive women. women. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was totally guilty of having that thought, too. Yeah, sure. But really, like, in retrospect, you look back at it and you say, like, oh, my God, like, this is how everyone should be if everyone could just state their intentions and their preferences, but then be receptive to other people's preferences and malleable to whatever the group consensus is, then it's great. You know, like if you think about the last time you went out to dinner with a group of people, like you're always really grateful when someone goes, well, how does everyone feel about sushi? Right. You know, because it gives an opinion, a thing to have an opinion about. Whereas like when everyone just stands around and waffles and doesn't want to say what they want because they don't want to piss the crowd off. Yeah. Then it's really frustrating. And then you end up going to like a non-restaurant because nobody made a decision. That just pleases everybody or whatever. But I feel like, so, you know, I've been in the design illustration world for 10 years. I don't feel uh, particularly nervous or self-conscious in those environments. I feel pretty good. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... I feel as though as I move into new territories, especially when it's people that I want their approval, like you were saying that these are my people, to me that almost feels like added nerves. Yeah. Like, oh, I really want these people to like me. So what, you know, did you, you didn't feel that way? Like I early mean, on? I think... Clear- but I guess you had a lot of stuff happen really quickly too. I had too, a lot which, of stuff happen really quickly. And I think... You know, even working for Louise was a way to, like, learn a lot about humility, like, early on and the importance of it. Yeah, Yeah. right. Because I think, like, you know, if I had worked at some agency for some, like, bullheaded, like, random agency personality. Right, someone you didn't maybe respect in terms of craft. Or or someone that, you know, they felt that the best way to navigate the world is to kind of be the strong-armed bully instead right. of, you yeah. know, whatever. I I just kind of, like, learned a lot about, like, respect your elders, respect the process, like, yeah. all this kind of stuff, which made me want to speak less to the people older than me right. and more to the people just under me. And, yeah. like, they were my people initially. Right. Okay, I was like, yeah. hey, guys, that I'm out sense. here yeah. in the world let me tell you about how this is working. Let me help you navigate this since you're only a step behind me. Yeah. And I don't want you to have to walk through the same piles of nonsense that I might have had to walk through. Yeah, yeah. And that's interesting, too. I always think about uh, if I ever give any advice about networking, it's always that, which is I feel like networking, people get it in their mind that it's something about climbing a ladder or like trying to reach those ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And actually, in my experience looking to the sides of me and people behind me and connecting with them and being, you know, helpful and useful to those people that like a lot of great things come, more great things come from that than trying to be friends with my heroes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what ends up establishing your expertise in a field are not the experts telling you you have true. expertise. Yes, totally you know, true. It's, yeah. it's the people that are learning from you saying that the T- the things that you're teaching them are valuable. Are working and, and working. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Like you know, experts are only 
experts if people believe they if, if people that they yeah it's like a consensus are under of them people them. saying yeah these, this is an expert yeah yeah exactly if it's not a if it's not like an on paper thing you know like yeah. clearly you can be an like expert a certificate just because you've like been you're certified. a surgeon yeah right? exactly yeah. Uh, which like you know there's a certain amount of work that goes into receiving those accolades sure. yeah. where it's like understood and it's easier to just like look at an accolade and say like, oh, well, clearly you must have expertise because you've been studying a thing for eight years and now have this certificate saying that you were competent enough to get a certificate. Right. You know, yes, but yeah. in the art field, there's not a lot of that. You there know, isn't a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. There's a, uh, yeah, a lot of it's based on social proof for people. Yeah. Kind of coming together and agreeing. And longevity too. I mean, yeah. like, cause you can say one thing once but if you don't consistently you know pay attention and stay on top of stuff then people are like oh wait you're not an expert in the field you're an expert on a specific topic on this little thing and that yeah, specific true. topic yeah. now has been written about a million times so therefore yeah. you become less relevant yeah that's interesting i i might circle back to that because it's really interesting but there's a there's a question that i have this is one of my big questions for you mm -hmm. uh so you've accomplished probably, I'm guessing more than you thought you were going to, possibly? Yes, but the thing is, I, <laughs> only, <laughs> only in that I didn't, I didn't stop to think I would accomplish anything. Right. Okay. You know, like yeah. when I, I like don't, I don't know if I had goals when I was younger. Okay. And I think part of that younger is. Younger what? Like, like, you know. Like I mean, before you got into the industry yeah, or like once before, you got. Before yeah, Before I got okay. into the industry. And then once I got into the industry. You know, I was just, I just enjoyed making stuff so much. Yeah. And I never felt like, oh my God, like, what is this crazy, I've, I've won the lottery. You know, like, yeah. I don't know if I ever had that feeling. Right. yeah. But I have always felt very grateful, just that like, oh man, I, I grew up wanting to draw all day and I found a way to get paid to draw all day. Yeah, yes. And like now, I do feel like I end up looking at, you know, I have to check myself a lot and, and yeah. pay attention to what younger folks are saying. Yeah. Just because like it's really easy to lose track of how that, that's my sorry, phone for sure. Sorry. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's totally fine. This is cash. <laughs> cash. Uh, just yeah. random vibrating yeah. things in the background. Um, but... At first I thought it was a bass note. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is somebody putting on like crazy music? All right. But yeah, like, I don't know. It's like it's really difficult to lose sight of how blessed like how blessed you are in yeah. a circumstance unless you are looking at people a few steps behind you true and being like oh my god like how did i how did i win the lottery and end up in this thing how but, like, but did you if you i mean if for instance you 12 years ago knowing that you were going to have a new york times bestseller work with Wes Anderson, whatever, all the other things that you could say, what would, would that person, I mean, would that, do you think that would have exceeded their thoughts of this is where this career is going to go or not? I, yes. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I mean, know. I don't know it's, it's if that's a weird uh, no, it's, question, it's but. It's really hard to describe just because like, I think I've always been a person that's been like a low expectations person right, of yeah, like okay. my own life and my career or not even like I'm I'm a person that can be happy without all of the craziness you know yeah. like and I have to like I'm really grateful for that mm. because it keeps me from freaking out after I get a thing of like what's the next thing that's this is where the question's going yeah, by the way because like I think it would be really sad if I if a thing happened that was amazing and then I just could not 
like appreciate it because I was like, what's the next thing? Yeah. I, I have that a little bit. Like I do have a hard time like living in the moment, which mm-hmm. I think like all people do. Sure. But I don't feel like I feel ungrateful for the thing that has happened. It's more that, it's not that I, you're not celebrating I'm not afraid to celebrate it too much because I don't want that thing to define me and put me in cruise control and make it be a thing that, you know, takes over yeah. the whole business. Yeah. You know, so I end up moving on really quickly after getting an accolade rather than just like stewing in it in a positive way for a long time. Cause I'm like, oh, this is a flash in the pan. Nobody's <laughs> gonna care about this soon. Yeah. You know, like, or, and like if I spend too much time focusing on it or, you know, putting it at the forefront, then all of a sudden it's going to, date me or right. it's going to make make it seem like Stagnate whatever I'm doing your... now is not important. Yeah. I think, uh, do you feel like, like I, I think that uh, creative people, creative professionals of all kinds, like you see it in acting and comedy and everybody thinks a lot about that career perception or the career trajectory. Like just the, what you're talking about, like nobody wants to be known for a certain single. Like yeah. nobody, you know, is that kind of what that feeling is, do you think? It is. Yeah. And I think that it only comes because I was, I did skyrocket up to a certain level at a very young so age. So that's something you're thinking about. And so something yeah. that I that tell people a lot when I'm doing public speaking stuff is like, do not freak out that you are not where you think you're supposed to be. Right. Because it is so much easier to climb the mountain than it is to balance yourself on the top of the mountain for a very long time. You know, like what you really should do is try to pace out your career as much as you can so that you are always climbing. You Mm -hmm. always feel like you're on just sort of a nice upward walk in which you are going to get to that top of the mountain when you are in your 40s or like wherever, like whenever that happens. So then when you have to balance at the top of it, you're not balancing for 30 years. (laughs) You know, you're balancing for 15 years (laughs) and then you write your book or then you teach or whatever because like racing to the top of the mountain uh, seems like the right thing because you want to get those 30 under 30s or you want to get whatever it is that is the, you know. There's like, all, there's a, there's also like the the uh, sexiness of young genius, like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like exploding onto the scene. Uh, let's talk about that, how about, because um, I feel like it's been, that period of your life has been long enough ago yeah. where you probably have worked through all kinds of things and I mean, and you're in a good place because you've hit a bunch of <laughs> accolades that are far surpassing the early craziness even. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so like my biggest concern is staying relevant for my whole career. Yes. Like that's right. my biggest yeah. fear and concern is like, I don't want to be one of those people that like made awesome stuff in their 20s and then is still talking about that awesome stuff in their 20s when right. they're in their 50s and 60s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's like the only thing people want to ask them about. And then what ends up happening is like whether or not that's you still want to hear that conversation is one thing, but like I don't want to be the one telling those stories. You know, like I you don't, don't want to be playing your hit from age 22. Yeah, yeah. I want I'm fine resurfacing a hit. Sure. But I want to do yeah. it as the It's encore. not like you're not going to play it. Yeah. yeah. I'll but you still have new play songs. It, but I have yeah. new stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if you show up, I'll tell you about the hit, but yes. I don't want the hit to be the only thing that everybody sure. wants to hear. And like I just remember being in my 20s and going to conferences and, you know, 
uh, especially when I would go to web conferences and things like that. Like sometimes I would hear murmurs in the audience of just like, what has this person made lately? You know, right. and yeah. really being very judgmental about yeah. people that like speak for a living and teach for a living versus people that make for a living. Yeah. Now on the other end of that, what I can say is that like the skills to teach are very different than the skills sure. to make yep. and that you should not discount a speaker or teacher like because they have not made like a bananas project in the last sure. 10 years. Yeah. Because like people that make awesome stuff are often not very good at talking about it. Right. You know, but I do think that there's a lot of naive people that don't understand that and I want to be able to like, you know, be a person that their work legitimizes the words that they're saying totally. forever. Yeah, 100%. You know? I, I, I think about this a lot for uh, <coughs> millions, millions of reasons. Do you feel like, because you kind of said that it's one of your main drivers in that, in that yeah. spiel. I just don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, I don't totally. call it a spiel. Uh, but just what <laughs> you just said. Um, and I wonder, sometimes I think about this a lot, about how much am I driven by... I am very driven by things that I've heard people say about people uh, that are in that I'm in the situation of now, just yeah. like you just said. Yeah. And I wonder uh, some of it is kind of ends up being toxic to me. Yeah, I think like I'm not judging you. No, no, I'm just totally. trying to. I it just, can yeah. be, but only actually like I feel like it's only toxic when you value that individual person's opinion. Like, you know, if that person is doing, like, cool stuff and yeah. involved in stuff that you couldn't dream of being involved in because you are you just missed the boat on it or whatever, yeah. then you take that to heart. It's, right. like, hard to not. But if it's just some random yeah. young person saying a thing, I'm like, oh, you're just naive. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. so it's easy for me to, like, kind of block it out if I, have, if I don't have a real intense reason to respect their opinion. Yes. You know? Yeah, I think that's a good filter. I, I think the other thing I try to do is figure out, because you're going to hear all these different opinions, which of them actually align with your own values. Like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So if you, if you felt that way, if you feel similar to about those people that they're criticizing or whatever, then it might be a good lens to help keep you on track. Yeah, right? and I think too, you know, people are intelligent for a lot in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I think the older that you get, the more you start understanding that there's all these variables that like are raised and lowered on every single person. Right. And just because someone is like a genius in intellectually doesn't mean they are a genius in terms of like emotional availability and empathy. Right. And so yeah. like there are people that will say things that are, that just make absolutely no sense in terms of like the human experience, right. but might come from like <laughs> yeah. an empirical evidence like place. Right. Yeah. And you're True. just like <clears throat> you're like no matter how you're so dumb, no matter how smart you are, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like if you start if you filter people out based on that, it's really easy to sort of. Be like, oh, well, you'll just never understand this thing because you don't have the nuts and bolts needed to understand this thing. Right. That's good. I, I do think like, uh, I think my only problem with that is sometimes the it's hard for me personally, and I'm putting, you know, uh, myself <coughs> in my audience's shoes probably uh -huh. feel similar. Sometimes it's the people that dislike the, the type of person you are that you value th or you consider their critique more than anybody else. That could happen. I don't know if I do that, but I don't, I'm not I mean, saying I you do, do that. I definitely 
do that sometimes. And part of that, it depends on how confident you are in yourself. Sure. Because it can get you super riled up. Yeah. If you're like, I'm a good person. Yeah. Fuck you. You know, like, and yeah. like, you know, like what you don't like positive human beings. Right. Like, you know, like whatever. <laughs> and then you just get really like, it just like makes your blood boil sure. when people are, get upset about things like that. And I think that, um, that that protecting myself from that yeah. is possibly one of the reasons why I do so much like community stuff. You know, like because I feel like a lot of times every time I do something that is like, oh, let me respond to this email of this person that is writing me in a crisis and mm-hmm. I want to try and help them. You know, those help validate my own feelings about myself that sure. I am in this for the right reasons. Yep. Yep. And they helped like put up a wall between me and the people that try to criticize me. Yes. So, okay. So in a way, like, you know, like, like nobody ever does anything, like, truly altruist, altruistically, no, like, you know. No. Uh, but I think that, like, a lot of the reasons why I give so much back, I, it feels really good to do it. Sure. And part of the reason why it feels really good to do it is because it feels like a fortification system yeah. when I do get criticized. Yes. And I, I was going to pull that thread, but I'm going to try not to. I was going to pull the thread of, there's a weird thing about... Uh, like I was listening to an uh, uh, Hidden Brain. You listen to that? No, ever? I okay. I think it's an NPR podcast, and it's about it's just neurology and all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and they were talking about the actual left and right brain, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of popular culture around it that's not accurate, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that it's basically left brain is like details, and right brain is uh, big picture. Yeah. And I feel like. It's, there is a weird thing about creative business that's both of these things. And you just even saying in it for the right reasons. It's such a weird burden for a creative person. Oh, totally. Because you're... And, you know, I, I try, whenever I see friends apologizing for earning money on, right, a, on yeah. a project or whatever, I'm just like, you don't need to apologize to make, like, because you're making money. Like, yes. it doesn't make your work less valuable because you decided to monetize it. Which, how crazy is that? Like, it's less valuable because it's valued with money. Yeah. It's like the craziest thing. Um, But, okay, let's talk about this, your journey with, I think from the outside, it's easy for people to be like, she had this explosive career. It must have been amazing. Uh, Working through that kind of quick rise, as you said, like, balancing on a mountain. Uh, what what were the hardest parts of that? Um, you know, I don't know if I want to start with the hardest parts of it. I think okay. like, I'll, I'll, I'll start with an observation sure. that I have like come to realize over the last like few years. Yeah. Is that people that ascend to like the, the pop, like well-knownness in their field there's like classes of people and they are all friends with each other. Mm-hmm. And it just is like, part of it is like a right place at the right time, but that doesn't necessarily mean right physical place. Right. You know, like clearly you live over here in Ohio, mm-hmm. but we are part of the same creative class of right. people in their mid thirties that are doing stuff doing and stuff, came yeah. on the scene at the same ish time. Yep. You know, and I think that if you are participating in the design world or in whatever world your world yeah. is, 
it's easy to find your people if you if your work is like baseline interesting like it doesn't need to be like the world's best stuff but you have to be like a relatively decent person that wants to elevate the people around you as much as you want to elevate yourself yeah and you have to be able to just like hang out and be a friendly person yep and what i've noticed is that like my time in new york was incredibly valuable yeah. to me like professionally just because i ended up a part of like a class of people you know like there and i noticed it because you know i was mm. i was just with emily oberman over at a conference okay and i was saying that her and paul Sayre and brian ray and james victory and like all these people were another class right you know they were like yeah. the class above us and they're all friends with each other they all still talk they all used to go on vacation together mm -hmm. and these things just kind of happen and it's like every 10 years and if you can find your way into one of those classes whether it's the leading one the like you know or one of the many subgroups of them yeah then all of a sudden you feel this intense community around you and I think that your work ends up getting elevated just by association of True. the people that are around you. And, you know, osmosis of being around great people, it improves you and you, oh, totally. you level up. But I, one of the things I didn't realize for a long time, probably years and years after it happened, was that I didn't realize how big of a deal living relatively near London was when I graduated. Uh -huh. uh, and how the people that, same, same as you're describing, how that... If I hadn't done that, had I just stayed in Indiana, even yeah. uh, that that I don't know if I could have bridged that chasm. Yeah, and that's why it's really hard to answer that question of like, do you think you need to live in New York or like whatever? It is, and it is, yeah. It's hard to answer it because like the answer should be no. Yeah. But the answer is there are major benefits to moving closer to a really active creative community. Yeah. You know, because just physical presence in a creative community makes a huge difference. Yeah. Like there are a lot of even if you think about the New York Times, you know, like the majority of illustrators that they hire for op-ed and all that kind of stuff yeah. are people living in New York cuz yeah. everybody knows each other. Yeah. And that's just something that happens. Yeah. And and no matter how much you try and fight against it or say it's not right, it it happens and it's much harder to dig in if you're not physically located close to people. Totally. Um, I almost feel like, you know, I feel like with the invention of the internet, which I think pe only people over 30 would ever say that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> with the invention of the internet, <laughs> I think everybody thought that it would make it so that geography was not a factor. Yeah. And it almost made it a premium. It's like even more important to get FaceTime with people. Well, what it means is that you have to work so much less hard. It's right. a tax yeah. to live outside of these cities. Yes. You know, like it's still 100% possible to be super involved in the creative community and you're saving so much money living out in yeah, smaller cities totally. and you're able to like live a more comfortable life and have things and eventually have a house and like all this stuff that people in New York and people in LA just cannot have. Yeah. But they, you are paying the tax of having to work way harder to stay involved in the career, and they are paying the tax of not the, having the actual the, tax, the of, actual yeah. tax <laughs> of never having a savings account, yeah. of living in tiny shithole places. You know, like their their tax is different than your tax, but you each have a tax. Yeah. So it just depends on how you want to spend your taxes, like what you want your tax to be. Yeah. Do you want your tax to be on time? And like, you know, really having to push yourself to be involved or do you want your tax to be like a literal financial tax where yeah. you just never have any money 
and you it's impossible for you to buy a house and do all the things that we hope to have in our 30s and 40s. Yeah, I remember early 20s looking at uh, Tad Carpenter and learning that because uh, I was living in Indiana at the time and watching him in Kansas City and just be like, He's doing like eight times the work. <laughs> yeah, that guy, that guy works so hard. <laughs> know, he works ridiculous. so hard. Yeah, so it makes me feel terrible. But I, but I thought, man, you know, the only, I would see him kind of get recognition several years later yeah. than people uh, in his same class, uh, and it would take him three times the amount of work. And you know, I just thought, man, if I'm gonna choose to live in the Midwest. <laughs> I'm gonna have to follow that. I'm gonna have to have. And I, I think that, I think that that's kind of true. And what, but the thing that is good is if you can put in your time for somewhere. A, for yeah, somewhere that's all, yeah. I always say you don't have to live to in New York years. forever. No. Yeah. Live there for three to five years, or if live it's somewhere for you. if it's possible yeah. for you. And that you can write off of that for so long. Totally. Just that connection that you had to those people. Yeah. Um, and that is such a big help. And so like, I definitely advise like if you are just an unencumbered young person and can move to a creative community wherever it is, it doesn't yeah. have to be New York, it's Chicago, you know, like wherever. Uh, I think it's it can be just so powerful on the next 10 years of your life. Uh, just in terms of like social capital stuff and just like, yeah. feeling a part of that time. It's crazy. It you know? is, yeah. So, are you going to talk about struggles? I will. The thing that I will talk about struggles. <laughs> what makes you not want to? Because um, I feel like I didn't have as many as so many other people. I do right. feel like I was really lucky. And I think that. Um, you know, I had some, like, my, my struggles weren't necessarily career-wise. You know, I, like, had right. struggles, like, in personal ways. But career-wise, I do feel like like the good far outweighed the bad. Right. You know, I was definitely criticized as being, like, a young, silly girl with, like, big ideas and things like that. But it was so minimal compared Mild. to how many people helped me along the way and felt that I was, like, Whatever I was saying that was ridiculous and, and naive and whatever, yeah. it didn't matter because my heart was in the right place. Right. And I, so I can't, it feels hard to talk about struggles because I do feel like. It feels ungrateful. Or it feels ungrateful. Or, yeah. yeah. I feel yeah. like I'm just very grateful for all the people that were around me and how I never felt like, you know, I felt always this intense kinship with everybody that was my peers. I never right. felt this like destructive frenemy yeah. you know like competitive nonsense that i yeah. feel like a lot of people end up feeling um and i think i'm just projecting onto you because i just can imagine <coughs> having that much attention at that age and crumbling because I, I you know i'm 32 now and i feel like i've never had more uh eyeballs and with that you get a percentage of those are not going to be good. They're going to yeah. be, you know, criti critical uh, and mean sometimes, and I don't handle it very well. And so I just imagine handling that 10 years ago and just being well, you know, destroyed by it. I think I, I had enough people that were older than me that right. were like really good at being like, Jessica, don't read the comments, you know, like, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Or, and you probably felt safe with those kind of, some of these, like if you were surrounded by industry leaders, that had your back, you probably felt okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like anytime that some random schmo on the internet decided to like 
have a tirade at me. I'm the first person to talk to literally yeah. every person I know about a thing that's bothering me. So I would be right. like instantaneously on instant messenger with every person that I knew that I could vent about it to and they would be like, fuck that person, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. And then that would like, I'd be like, yeah, you're right. You know, and then I, yeah. I would still like, you know, it would haunt me at night for a little bit, but I would be able to feel a little bit more fortified because another person would share a story with me about a time that some person dragged them down into the mud and that it felt terrible, but it was such a blip and all you have to do is try to get through it. It's another uh, argument for having community, having those people around you really. Uh, Yeah, and also too, like I think like the uh, anonymity of of the internet, Yeah. if you poke a hole in that, Mm-hmm. It is extremely powerful. What do so you mean by that? If someone is calling you out like and criticizing you on the internet and you reach out to them, not publicly, because if you start fighting with someone in a public sure. forum, nobody looks good. Right. But if you reach out to them privately and be like, hey man, I'm a person. Yeah. Like if you have a problem. I've had the same experience. You know, yeah. if you reach out to them and go, like, I'm sorry that you feel that way about my work, but do you really need to drag it down in public? Yes. You know, and you you call them out like in private in a way, and, and then they still keep on their high horse of, I'm allowed to criticize, blah, blah, whatever. Yeah. Very few people actually stay on True. it. Yeah. You know, it's really easy for people to think of you as a non-person. Yeah. If you, like for anybody on the internet, but sure. especially if you're a person with an audience on the yeah. internet. Yeah. You know, totally like true. I had an issue like that with a person on Twitter where they were, they would be like very openly critical about my stuff. And I just like, like knew their IM handle somehow because right. I think we had like people in common. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I wrote that person and I was like, hey man, you know, it doesn't feel good when you say these things like that. And he was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I can be such a curmudgeon sometime, like la la la. And was very apologetic and mm. basically came at it as like a, I vent sometimes on the internet and I forget that other people read this, you know, yeah. and like we've since remained friendly, like, yeah. you know, like ever since I did that. I mean, like, I've had a few bad comments, but most of them are just like, Andy's not for me. And even that, I'm like, oh, <laughs> why? I'm trying to be nice. Um, yeah. But uh, let's talk about your book. So what is the story of how that came about? Tomorrow I'll be brave. Well, it came about in a few different ways. So I, for one thing, had no aspirations of making kids' books prior to having kids. Uh, just Which be- is pretty common, although it's not my story. A lot of my friends that are illustrators, it's their story. Yeah, I mean, the, the main reason why it's my story is I hate making any project about a subject that I don't understand really thoroughly, yeah. and that understanding didn't come to me naturally. So like, right. if I'm assigned a thing to research, you know, like you can do that. Like yeah. I can do that, but I have to be like sort of given the right resources and whatever. Like you, you know, want to like, feel it, not like from a empathetic, but like <laughs> a sympathetic, where you've experienced it. Yeah, you feel it's something like close of, to you. All of yeah. my personal projects that I've ever made have come from a place of me being knee deep in a subject matter or in a whatever, and feeling like I need to make something in reaction to that subject matter. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I didn't want to even try making something for children before I understood what children were into. Yeah, you know, and I, you know, we all feel separated enough from our 
childhood by the time we're grown up. Usually. Not me, but I'm just weird. I mean, I'm I, a weird person. I don't, maybe I just am like arrested development like I, or something. I, I mean, <laughs> it all depends on how you bank memories and stuff too. Right, yeah, Like maybe. I feel like I don't have a lot of really clear memories from childhood. Sure. And I, I have them based on photographs and based on tales that my family have told right. me. Yeah. But I don't feel very connected to the person that I was as a child. Right. You know? Uh, yeah. And so Interesting. when you have a kid though you get reconnected to that person yeah. because you like see, see them, you lives. see it through yeah, their yeah. lives and you see what they're experiencing and it can help you tap into a place that you haven't tapped into in a long time mm-hmm. and like feel like you're experiencing, like, you know, you get very empathetic for how they're experiencing their lives. And so having kids was a big motivator. And another big motivator was just sort of having this realization that like lettering alone was not doing it for me anymore. Right. You know, like, I think a lot of people get into their careers in their 30s and 40s, and they're like, oh my God, how do I make work that's not just about celebrating graphic design anymore? This is, by the way, my fir- my, my initial questions about goals and uh, all that was getting to, at, at this age, at my, uh, I just got to a place where the first time in the past 10 years where writing goals has taken me three months instead of three minutes. Yeah. So, which is, and I'm driven by goals and, and achievement and doing things. And I kind of had an existential crisis <laughs> <laughs> like, because mainly as it's not this simple, but it's about as simple as the podcast got bigger than I thought it could. And then the New York, and then I worked with the New York times and I always, for the past 10 years, I thought that would be it. Yeah. And so then I got to a place where I was like, now what am I going to do? Like, I yeah. don't know. That's why I think yeah. goal setting can be really hard. It you know? can be, yeah. I think, like, some people are very good at it and vision boarding and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just like, I get so disappointed when I achieve goals that I've set out to do that I just right. try not yeah. to have goals. <laughs> it's really weird, like, because I'm like, oh, well, that's it. You know, like, there's yeah. always, because the goal is never as big as you envision it in your head. You know, like, yes, working right. for the New York Times, yeah. huge deal before you've done it, and then you do it, and you're like, wow, I got paid $200, and it's a client. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> and everything turns into a job eventually. Sure. Totally. You know, like, yeah. everything, you know, like, totally. no matter how amazing and whatever things but are. Did let So lettering was, like, this enormous thing in your life, obviously still yeah. is, but there was, it kind of... Like, I feel like I, I still love to create lettering. Sure. But there was something about lettering like when I got into it where it felt like this weird hidden world that nobody knew about sure, yeah, even yeah. though clearly people knew about it but like it wasn't everywhere you it's kind of like indie music in early 2000s where you're like whoa like yeah. late 90s or something you're like whoa there's a whole other world and now it's yeah it feels so like it's like yeah. the band that you discovered and yeah. then when everybody else discovers that band you're like well I still like this that, band yeah. but are they my favorite band it doesn't now? feel personal anymore it doesn't feel personal so, yeah. yeah exactly that makes sense and also I wonder if like there's a there's a pretty big shift there from uh, learning to talk to having something to say so like the forms of letters is very like learning to talk you're like you're not maybe you're not as per, you know you're not thinking as much about the copy or what yeah, you're yeah, saying yeah. whereas writing a book is the words like I'm you're saying you're making a comment which is a different level did it feel like yeah, that? And yeah and as you as you progress in your career like I think it's always really exciting when you feel like you're on this really steep uptick of learning sure you know yeah, and, totally. and it's that's the same thing that you were just saying yeah and um 
once you feel like you have a decent amount of knowledge and then it's about like really pushing yourself around and experimenting and things like that, it gets really hard and scary. Yeah. And what I sort of realized was like, I'm not a very experimental person. Mm. Like Eric Marinovich, my studio mate, is super experimental. That sure. dude can experiment yeah. on type and lettering all day long. And I, I am involved in like the type design community too. And those guys can literally just talk about like type all day long, trying new things, weirding out, like, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And what I realized was that, like, I didn't love it enough to have that be, like, the only thing. Sure. You know, like, yeah. I think that lettering and illustration has been, like, an, and design has been an amazing thing in my life. But, like, I don't know if I will be the kind of designer that is, like, publishing tutorials until for like the next 20 sure. years about yeah. design. Yeah. You know, I'm way I'm much more interested in like a broader humanity kind of thing. Yep. And then I also like because I was so obsessed with lettering and so obsessed with myself identifying as a lettering artist, uh, I weeded out any work that was not lettering. Right. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't want to yeah. dilute you know, dilute the brand, quote unquote. Right. Even though, like, I never thought of myself as a brand, right. but I didn't want to. I didn't want to dilute what people came to me for. Sure. And okay. I wanted to make sure that, like, oh well, if people are calling me an expert in this thing, that I maintain my expertise by only doing this. And thing. if you are, if you're running a business, you have to <clears throat> have a certain level of trust around an area. Yeah, Th exactly. That's how you. Yeah. Yeah, so, and yeah, the way you get sense. client work is specializing. <clears throat> yep. You know, like you. Yeah. It's good to be a generalist if you have a real job, and it's True. good to be a specialist if you're working for yourself. Totally. And uh, what I sort of realized was I was having a total crisis because of, you know, like basically as soon as you don't have the ability to work 24 hours a day, uh, which is like there's so much validation when you in have just kids, staying you busy. Yeah, right. when you have kids. <laughs> or when you like, you know, honestly it happened first when I moved to San Francisco yeah. because I had friends with real jobs and nobody worked like I did when I was in New York. Right. And yeah, all of a sudden, funny. I would have these like <laughs> evenings free constantly, right. <laughs> you know. And then I was just like, "What do I? What am I even doing here?" Yeah, and then it like felt... a minute to stop and think about what's happening yeah, instead of just yeah. making stuff. Yeah. And like <clears throat> because my days were shorter, I was turning down more work and not just filling my calendar. And then it felt like the work that I took on had more meaning and importance and mm -hmm. then I would question like is this a thing I should do like does this mean like you know whatever like is this moving the needle in one way yeah. shape or form and then all of a sudden there's all this pressure on the work that you take on that doesn't happen when you just stay busy all the time sure you know like yeah. I would I would talk when I would talk at conferences and stuff when I was younger about like hey you want to pay me to draw a hamburger I'll draw a hamburger yeah like I was just yeah. so happy to get paid and so happy to be there yeah but then all of a sudden I hit this like moment in my like late 20s and 30s where I was just like should I be drawing hamburgers you know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, like an existential crisis yeah it was yeah. a total existential right. crisis <laughs> and then uh I was talking to my husband about this and uh he was like he was reading this book about I forget what it's called like it's like the inventor's dilemma or something like that uh -huh. uh, and it's all just about like silicon valley people that like what happens is they'll like invent a technology and then you have two choices you either like stay with it and rise to the top and then just try to maintain as much as possible your expertise or you have to totally abandon it and do a new thing because eventually all things decline right you know like if you invent a new technology that technology is not going to ascend for the rest of your life it's going to like have a life cycle that it eventually goes away yep and you have to figure out how, when to get off that thing so that you can do the thing that is the next thing that you want to invent or influence mm -hmm. or be a part of yeah and it felt like when 
he, he was like basically comparing lettering for me with that, where I felt like I rode and helped create this like crazy wave yeah. that is now happening that I'm so happy that is there. And I'm so happy that so many other people have dove into it sure. and make beautiful, amazing work. But like they should be the ones to carry the wave yeah. and I should go find the new wave for yeah. me. Yeah. And so like that was kind of at the core of the kids book thing is like I want to make work that I'm like emotionally invested in that feels like a new space for me. It's clearly not a new space for everybody. Sure. But something that I feel, oh, it's Innovator's Dilemma. That's what it is. Right. And okay. so I was like, there's other areas where I feel like I can tick more of those innovator boxes that I think actually matter a great deal for me personally in terms of like feeling self-worth. I think as there's a, a thing of knowing also where you, you know, a self-knowledge of strengths, where are you best where do you fit best on that wave, on yeah. that curve, you know, because you are right at the beginning of that thing and maybe you're a starter. Yeah, I think know? I'm a, I'm a yeah. starter, not a finisher, yeah. like for sure. Yeah. Like I don't want to see things through the end. I, I abandoned books all the time. <laughs> like I was just... <laughs> oh, I do too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I yeah. was just reading an extremely long like New York Times article. It was like a New York Times magazine article and I swear to God, I did not read the last three paragraphs of it because I was just like... I'm good now. Yeah, you know, I like, get like that too. So if yeah. I'm in a book, I heard Seth Godin say it like this, like if he feels like he got the joke, then he's done. Like if of the book, if like the little seed of what this book is, when I get that and then the next chapter is like three case studies about it, I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah. I, I get it. I don't there's need some, it anymore. There's some knowledge sets where I do want to just like just keep Go going to the and very absorb bottom. as yeah. much of it as possible. But it's very few and far between. Yeah, yeah. And um, I do think that like to me that – like getting to a place where I feel like I'm innovating or I'm doing something that feels new and interesting is a way to like touch into I'm doing something important, mm -hmm. you know, like, and that even though I'm doing a thing that's a commercial thing, like venture yeah. or whatever, it feels like I, it has meaning to yeah. it. Exactly. And so uh, that was one of the motivators. And then the other motivator was like looking at my portfolio and going, holy shit, I haven't illustrated in eight years. Yeah, right. You know, and just sort of like... Have mostly just letters. Because it was mostly yeah. just letters. And the yeah. letters got less and less illustrative. And that was like by design. And I was interested in it. And it didn't matter. Like, you know, and it was... Sure. I, my work focused in a different way. But it felt like I had let this like core part of me atrophy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I need to figure out if I want to rejuvenate that part of me uh, first and like... Like, when I get that rejuvenated, then I get to decide, like, okay, is this a path I'm going to keep going yeah. or whatever. But if I remember like, early yeah. days in your career, you, you had a lot of illustration. Oh, yeah. I mean, I started. Yeah. I mean, that's my initial work was all illustration. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I was just getting to this point where it had been so long since I had done it that I was like, oh, man, I feel like I'm at this crossroads where I either, like, leave it behind me entirely or I have to pick it back up again and like refresh it and see yeah. if I want to take it along with me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So the uh, the story in in itself. <laughs> I'm curious itself. where that comes from. Uh, one of the things that my takeaway is from it that I don't know if it's intentional or not is it. It's definitely got a melancholy vibe to it. Uh, I don't know if you feel that way. Maybe that's just <laughs> me projecting again. But it, to me, it feels almost like. That's how parents feel. I feel okay. like there's a lot, I don't know if you feel this way, but at the end of the day, there's lots of times your kids are batshit crazy and you're just like, holy, just go to bed, I can't take it anymore. And then they go to bed and you're like, no. And you just yeah. feel like, oh, I wish I would have 
done this or done that. And I, I, <laughs> your face is making me think there's no intention no, behind this. Do but you see it? Do you see it? I'm like, keep going. But, I'm interested. But it's, <laughs> I'm reading into it. It just reminds me of, um, oh, tomorrow I want to, and I, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not a bad parent. Yeah. I'm not, I don't have giant regrets, but I, it, it feels like that feeling from the parent side of, all the things when they go to bed, you think, I want to do this tomorrow, I want to do that yeah. tomorrow, I want to make it. And it, you didn't do that at all on no, purpose, no. but that's that's how I read it. Well, and I also... I, I, think that, I think that that speaks, though, to the fact that, like, I wanted to make something that takes something that adults still struggle with, but yeah. something that kids also struggle with and address that. Yep. You know, like, I think that the, the theme of it is that setting goals is great. Yeah. You know, like... Like starting your day and saying, I'm going to go do all these things is awesome. But clearly, as we've already talked about, right. like sometimes you don't do those things yeah. and then you feel this horrible dread and that you're like, oh my God, I'm worthless. I'll never do this thing. <laughs> yeah. And we yeah. all feel that. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, I've been, you know, I talk all the time about being in therapy now, but I feel like there's all these things that come up in therapy that are these super basic things that you have to learn how to do that seem so basic mm. but are so difficult mm. to actually like enforce in your life like what just like i that, know what that you being, mean that being yeah. one of them like right. you know this book addressing one of the things which is letting yourself off the hook right if you're not gonna if you're not good at something yeah or celebrating that you can love to do something that you'll never be good at right you know yes. like i think yeah. that and that was one of the things that i was thinking a lot about kind of after I made the book, that I don't think that the book directly addresses this enough, but I think a lot about all the things that I have not done in my life because someone told me at some point that I would not be very good at them. Sure, right. You know, like how I never took dance because someone told me that I didn't have a dancer's body. Right. Or how I never <laughs> ran cross country because I had a pediatrician tell me that my knees were shaped in a way that would give me shin splints. Mm. You know, like we get told these little things yeah. about ourselves and we take them in as like, empirical truths about yes. us yeah. um, and then those things influence the decisions that we make on our lives and I don't think enough people tell young people or anyone they don't tell adults they don't tell anyone that like you don't have to be good at something to do it and to love it yeah that's good you know like you can be terrible you could be the worst person ever to in terms of thing. talent at the thing but if you love every minute of doing that thing you do that thing I feel like you're telling me Andy you can go sign up to the community basketball team. Totally. I'm terrible. Yeah, but I yeah. do feel guilty when I play because I'm like, I'm bringing the team down, but I'm having a good time. Anyway, I know exactly what you're saying. Hey, do you know the, uh, have you heard of the fixed uh, the fixed <coughs> mindset versus the growth mindset? I, ha I, I feel like from even just saying it, I have an understanding of it, but please sure. uh, tell it's me just, more. Uh, there's a book called Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck. I talk about it on yeah, the yeah. podcast all the time. But it's just basically... <laughs> There's two general mindsets on uh, on your self-worth and who you are, and one is fixed, like your talent's fixed, your IQ's fixed, like, and so every, and so you, they would test kids, and kids that have the fixed mindset, if the, if the task was challenging to them, they would throw it. They'd be like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Because if they fail, it's saying you're a failure. Yeah. And whereas a kid that has a growth mindset, when it's all, when they think, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, complete this, it gets exciting. 
Yeah. It's like this challenge is exciting. And so it just sound that's like what you're speaking yeah, to. It's yeah, like, exactly. yeah, exactly. Because if you won't start book, things you don't know you can't be great at. And that's and, what I, I think the book is trying to address fixed mindset kids. Yeah. And saying like, you don't have to be a growth mindset person. Right. Like you don't have to get excited about the fact right. that you failed. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that like I'm not that person. Right. You know, <laughs> yes. I don't get excited yeah. when no, I fail. I don't either. But I can look at failure like with the right context as being like, okay, well, I have to fail enough that I understand this, you know, like it's part of the process, you know, and I think that teaching kids with a fixed mindset or like a, you know, dismissive, I don't want to do things if I know I'm not going to ascend to whatever level that like, oh yeah, well maybe you won't, but like, Maybe you should try it for a little while. And do you like doing do it? Do you like doing it? Yeah. Exactly. Do, where did the idea come from <laughs> for the book? It came from, um, like, so I see a similar thing in my daughter that I, like, she and I are so different from each other, yeah. but actually I feel like once she gets out of her threes, we're going to end up being the same exact person. <laughs> yeah. uh, but she uh, she definitely also is, like, hyper-concerned and about, like, getting it right and understanding things before she does them. Mm. So, like... She's not good at free play. Like, you can't just put a thing in front of her and go, like, go nuts. Yeah. She's like, what am I supposed to do here? Tell me how to do this. She wants you you to walk through the process of doing something so she has an understanding of how to do it the right way, quote unquote. And it's interesting because that manifests in really cool ways because she's very interested in, like, understanding how things work Mm. and wants, like, she gets really into just hearing about how procedural stuff happens. Like, mm. I think she's going to be like a yeah. how stuff works kind of person. Right, yeah. Um, but the bad way that it manifests is that she has a hard time, like, letting herself go and experimenting and trying stuff, which I, you know, these, these are parallels that I see in myself like crazy. And this is a big thing, you know, because I'm very similar to you in that yeah. way. You know, Eric be, being someone who will just play and experiment, I think, uh, cause, and I think part of it's like a, being a rule follower. I don't know if you are, but I am a rule follower. I'm a rule follower. And I, there's something about, uh, th- that's actually a big hurdle for developing your creativity. Yeah. Like if you won't. And I always test way left brain. Right, really? Like way yeah. more than right brain. Yeah. And part of that is just because like I, I do feel like if I can just absorb a big enough knowledge base, I'll understand it. Yeah. Or if I can walk through the right things like yeah my my understanding comes of a thing doesn't come from like feeling it out and like working through it in a more like esoteric way yeah. it comes from like just gathering tiny pieces of stuff and then recomp- recompositing those in yeah. my head yeah and i early on this was a big problem for me because when i would get a brief i would want to say this is what i'm going to do instantly and I would never play or let something happen. Yeah. Uh, and and being forced to come up with four solutions is a good thing for yeah. that. Where I'm like, some of these are going to be trash. Yeah. And then those are usually the good ones because you know I'm playing and I'm being you know. And I'm, see, for me, it, the solutions don't come through play; they come through logic. Right. So yes. I walk through that brief and I start dissecting it. <laughs> yeah. And I start going into like, here are all the asks, here are all the limitations, here are all the whatever. Yeah. What does that eliminate? And like, so I am a dissector logic person when it comes to ideation. But because of that, like most of my ideas are not like wackadoo ideas. Sure, yeah, right. You know, like I tend to I tend to stick pretty close to I I do similar things. Actually I you know, I'm very interested in this whole uh, left brain, right brain and I always I actually think I'm usually 
trying to bring left brain logic and analysis to the creative world because uh -huh. it's bucked that so much uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. throughout time. And actually, there's so much of creativity that's pretty mathematical yeah. of the way that it works. I think, um, I think it's also like, I think the separation between like a designer and an artist can be an artist is right brain forward and uses left brain to analyze their actions yeah. after the fact. Yep. And a designer is left brain forward and uses right brain to expand their actions. Right, yeah, you know, that's like, really good. Yeah. Because when I think about the people that I went to art school with, they were, they were feelers when it came to their work. They would like make a thing that just felt like the right thing to do and like yeah. let the brush guide them and all this stuff. But then they would look back and dissect their work and go, oh, I did this because of this. Yeah. And they would like logic right. back yeah, to yeah, the yeah, concept. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas designers lead with the concept and have to push the creativity after that. Yeah. So it's much harder. Like it's much yeah. harder to do it that way. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Anyway, I derailed you. You were talking about your daughter. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. So she, and it manifests in ways with like play, how she doesn't want to like, free play and all that kind of stuff. But also I see it with language too. Like we have a nanny that uh, speaks Spanish to both of my kids. Mm. Uh, Ramona's, in That's cool. Ramona's in preschool now, so she's not with her all day, but she understands like super rapid Spanish. That's amazing. But she never speaks it back. <laughs> like she will not speak Spanish back. I've never heard a Spanish oh, word out of her mouth other than like agua and otro. Those yeah. are like the only ones that Man, have that's stuck. so, oh, that's awesome. Anyway. But my son, He's very loosey-goosey with it. Like, he is a total free, pay, free play nutball. Yeah. You'll, I'll just hear him just, like, messing with stuff in another uh -huh. room, and he can occupy himself with, like, a milk jug for 35 minutes. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. And then he very much mixes, like, Spanish, non-Spanish words. So I think that he, like, has this unselfconsciousness that she doesn't have right now, because I yeah. think she and I are like the same person. <laughs> yeah. And the book then was sort of like, it came out of wanting to talk to her and talk to myself, you know, my younger yeah. self of like, yeah. like push yourself to do things, but also be cool when you don't do those things. Yeah. Because it's hard, you know? Yes. Uh, man, I wanted to go a million places. I think you saying that makes me think that maybe I developed the light, left brain approach as like a needing, you know, when I needed to be an adult and earn money. And I feel like I actually, because I am a weirdo. And yeah, I like you to seem like a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. I am a weirdo. And, and when I, you say that, like, you're like, oh, I'm pretty conservative in my work. I was like, mm, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe I think I'm doing a good job hiding it. I'm not. But, you know, actually, I've been doing YouTube videos. It's been the most yeah. fun thing I've done as an adult. And it makes uh -huh. me feel like, oh, this is. This is me. Like I need to, and I, I think, yeah. Anyway, that's something I need to think about. And I only verbalize it because people at home might be. Uh, I challenge like whatever you know how you see yourself. It's good to challenge that. Yeah. Like, you know. Um, but another thing I wanted to say was what's really interesting for you, I think, is when you have three kids. This happened to me at least, okay? So your first one, you think, <laughs> oh, they're kind of like this. Or you, you can see how the DNA is split between yeah, yeah, them. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this one's mostly like me or like you in these ways. And then you have the second one. And there's a part of me at least that felt like, okay, these are the options for kids. Yeah. Like, this is how, because there's, I don't know, there's, but then the third one is such a weird mixture. You like, the possibilities are infinite, which yeah. I'm not planning on having any more kids, but I could see how it's addictive in that you think, 
Who are they? They're all three so different. Like this, it's, the possibilities are endless. So it just totally blows you away because you think that one's kind of like Sophie, that one's kind of like Andy. And then this one, you're like, I don't know who this kid is. This kid's so different than both of them. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think like it's been really cool because you see like kids are neat because one, they start off looking like clearly one person and True. then they merge right. into the other person. Right. Yeah, right. You know, and that's, that's <clears throat> super interesting just from Very a physical yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Um, but then both of my kids are definitely a blend of the two of us. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I are like opposites in so many ways. Like, yeah, you sure. know, I'm like an ENFJ and he's yeah. an INTP. You know, yeah, like we are like fairly yeah. opposite. But you have the N overlap. We have the N yeah. overlap. And you know, we have really, we have a lot of stuff in common, similar senses of humor. We're total, like he's a goofball when he lets himself be a goofball. You know, sure. it's totally great. Yeah. Um, but we, we have traits that we feel are like unique to us or unique to our like family line or whatever. Yeah. And then we see those kind of coming out in the kids in different ways. Uh-huh. You know, like I have always made jokes that Ramona is like pure Mashmeyer yeah. because she was like so serious as a baby. Like she's just like the most, right. like she's super intelligent, but <laughs> yeah. like super serious and like yeah. can't take a joke and all this stuff. But now she's getting so fun and like yeah. weird and imaginative. Yeah. And I think it's like, they just, they take on these different properties and they are they just merge into different personalities as they age. It's so interesting. Yes. So the uh, you said that. So the book came from something that you wanted to say to your past self, basically. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. one of the things that I really like, one of the things that I love to think is that no one is so unique that there are not thousands of people that are also like you in the world. True. Yeah. You know, like I actually like yeah. love thinking of myself as not being very unique. True. You know, yeah. like. And to me, that means that if I want to make a thing that's just for me, it's actually for also thousands of people. Yes. You know, and some people are weirder than other people and have less people that are like them, <laughs> for sure. And so, Well, some of those artists, too, yeah. are people that we like to gawk at because yeah. we're like, whoa, how weird is that? Yeah. So there's the other stuff. Yeah. But, but like, yeah. you know, like any time that I just remember when I first moved to San Francisco, one of the things that bothered me so much was like any time I had a complaint about a service that I used or whatever, like the feedback that I would get is like, oh, well, you're an edge case because you're not everyone's experience. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not like Kim Kardashian. Yeah, right. You know, I'm not like like so unique of a person on this thing that other people are not also experiencing the same pain point. Yeah. And so like when I think about things that I personally want to do that are driven by who I am or who I was, I know that there are thousands and thousands of kids uh, and people that are exactly like me in yeah. certain respects. Yeah. And so like I can make stuff that's very personal to me, but is also very personal to a lot of other people. Getting into that authenticity of writing what you know, know yeah. on an emotional level of like, I know this is resonating with me, so therefore it's going to resonate with tons of people or how Yeah, many exactly. Yeah. And I think like people get tripped up by trying to make work that is for a person that they don't know. True, which is always pandering. It's always like, here's what you want. I'll make (laughs) I know exactly what you want. There are I mean, clearly there are times when you have to visualize an audience that is very different than you. Yeah, sure. You know, and when it comes to client work, there's no way that everything that comes down your your path is a thing that's made for you. And that is all about like being able to really envision a person that is that person. You know? And But you're often best the the best expert on communicating to people with a similar flavor to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And clients that hire you 
to do work that speaks to people like you because it's like a PR-ish kind of thing or whatever, like they are smart in doing that. Very much You so. know, like yeah. they know that work that you do that is personal to you is going to be personal to the people that like the work that you do and are similar to you. And all the people on the podcast are going to be really sick of me saying this, but you haven't heard me say it, so I'll say it. But <laughs> I, I keep thinking, one of the things that's like a mantra of mine when I make something is, uh, I don't draw the t-shirt that I feel like drawing. I draw the t-shirt I'd want to wear. Yeah. So there's an empathy of getting into, uh, because if you just draw whatever you feel like drawing, it's not always a good design. It's not always yeah. like this is, you know, but I feel like it's it's interesting that you got such a, from that firsthand experience on, an, on a gut level, being able to know what your kid would like or what you would have liked as a kid that's where this idea kind of germinated yeah that's and right. even then yeah. what's interesting is like it's not the right book for her sure you know like right. she likes all kind like my son loves it you know like because he's like <laughs> yeah. the same person as me actually right. like yes, she's right. she and i are similar in certain respects like she's yeah. gonna be a total boss when she's older like yeah. she's like she's like a way more like uh you know just decisive determined like, get my coffee like, that yeah kind of, exactly yeah, like right. she's gonna, we make jokes that she's gonna like run a hospital or something yeah. that's gonna be like what she does <laughs> yeah. and like my son is just much more just kind of like goes with the flow easy peasy blah blah, blah. Yeah. but he he it's so fun because he loves my illustration work it's really? so funny oh, like anytime he sees a piece of work that i did he, he like loses it and he gets really upset when i have to put my computer away or something like that if that's he amazing. sees a flash of it it's really cool yeah but like ramona ended up not being my audience like yeah she huh. wants to read about monsters and wants stories <laughs> with bad endings and like wants to have me tell her about like what happens when you break your arm and things like that. Like, <laughs> but it's funny that you, you ha having her made you get into that perspective, and it did resonate with the kid that's most like you. So it, you know, yeah. But okay, so my last question, because we've been talking for quite a long time now, is what did you learn about? Uh, do you have time? Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, what did you learn about? Making a kids book because I'm sure I'm I'm guess I'm not sure I'm guessing your experience is similar to mine where the people that want to do kids books uh, and and making a kids book and it's a long line of people yeah. it's a and it's a heavily guarded system every system that people may not realize this if you've never tried to get into one of these markets yeah uh, whether it's TV or kids books or whatever it's heavily guarded and obviously you had a lot of things going for you with your already having a career, yeah. but with that, with having a New York Times bestseller, with you know getting published, whatever, all of those things. Let's make a little list. Uh, <laughs> what's there's there's, what's there's just so much. There's I know. So sorry much. to start that an no, hour no. at one hour in, no, but I think that I think that one of the things, um, one of the first things that I always lead with when I talk about like yeah. people that want to make kids' books is like, for one thing. Making books in general is never going to be financially viable sure. as your only thing. Right. You know, like very yeah. few people can make a living. It's not a great it. incentive. It's not. No. There's Financial cannot be your incentive. You cannot start a project and go, oh my God, I can't wait to cash those checks. Because <laughs> those checks are going to come in in like, you know, three-figure form every quarter for, yes, right. <laughs> for my, yeah, you know, totally. years. Yes. And like, it's a long game. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm like, I think one of the things that... 
I've always been, I've been super interested in like passive income as a thing mm -hmm. my whole career yep. because I feel like having as many fingers and as many pies as possible has been very uh, helpful to me. Whatever. Yeah. You know, it's, it's been helpful to me in terms of like community stuff, like being involved in the web community and the type community and the illustration community and the design community. Like having my finger in all of those pies has been really fulfilling yeah. to be able to have like diverse conversations and act as a mediator between my field and other fields and things like that. So that's been really cool. Having my client stuff be varied enough that I have like big money projects that mm. help pay certain bills and low money projects that help fuel the creativity and some things that are these like slow burn passive income things and all of those things. It's an ecosystem. It's an ecosystem. Yeah, that you. I t I talk about that a lot too. Is that you yeah. need? I mean. That maybe is just the day that we live in where you, it's going to be hard to make a killing at editorial illustration or whatever. Well, the thing it might is, be. you can make a killing at it if you work your ass off. You know, like and you're number one. You're yeah. or you're one of the one of the. It's your thing. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. there's you know there are parts <clears throat> of our field where you can make good money at it, but it requires so much time and so much effort that like eventually you won't have that. Right, spend. you won't, yeah, you won't. totally true. And you need yeah. to be thinking about, <clears throat> career-wise, how are you going to, to like, adjust your career to match your life, yep. you know, over time. True. And it's really good to start thinking about that and, like, not, like, planning for it or even taking active step towards it, but understanding that's a thing that's going to be a part of your life. Yeah. And so, like, kids' books and book publishing in general, to me, has always been in this category of, like, Hey, this is never going to be a cash windfall. This is going to be a slow burn for me. Yep. And that's cool because the hope is that I make something that is powerful enough and has staying power enough that it can remain evergreen for a while. Yep. It doesn't just, it's not a flash in the pan. But then there's a pressure to that of like, oh my God, I have to make something that people are still interested in in 10 years and that I'm not totally mortified by in 10 years. True, yeah. Because like, that's one of the issues with publishing and kids books mm -hmm. is that like, um, it's much easier to get over your earlier work when it was just like for a, for random, a random client. client. Yeah. yeah. But like, <laughs> if you make yeah. a typeface, right. that typeface is out <laughs> yeah. there in the world literally forever haunting yeah. you. Yeah. And then it's the same thing with a book. You know, you're going to, if you write in a book and you have like really specific opinions and stuff that are in that book, those things are going to stay like ever, like people are going to think that you said them yesterday yeah. if they picked up the book yesterday, yeah. even if you said them 15 years which ago. Which is a weird thing. Some people will go back to early episodes of the podcast, which were only four years ago, yeah. and say, oh, I was listening to episode 35, and I was like, why? Yeah. Why did you do that? <laughs> like, I don't stand by it. I don't know. I'm, I you know, I think podcasts do that too, because when people fall in love with a podcast, they go through the whole catalog, and they just I took the, the first thing. hundred off and put it behind a wall where you have to sign up for the newsletter because I'm just like, I want only diehard people yeah, yeah, yeah. to be in that there. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. That <laughs> anyway. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, but, and then because of that, there's this pressure when you're making this thing that is very different than every other thing that you're making. Uh -huh. You know, so I think like, know that if you're going to get into making kids books or get into making books in general, like you have to be fully emotionally invested yeah. in whatever that thing is and you have to be you have to understand that this thing in the best of times and best circumstances it outlives you yeah you know who you are in this moment um i think uh uh so i feel like being all in emotionally uh in term you know first of all just in like 
you really want this. You yeah. really want to do it because it's a hell of a thing to, to break into. But then also, I think it's really uh, a fascinating, it was a fascinating exercise for me. When I realized people were going to go back and listen to early stuff, it actually, about two years in, changed how I approached it. Mm -hmm. And I would say I've, uh, I've never had a crucible moment in my life where I became more myself because I realized I have to stand behind mm -hmm. this. And so a lot of other stuff about me disappeared because I was like, I'm not willing to stand behind that. Like I, yeah. And so it's, it's crystallizing. I think that's really true. And what ends up happening to you is that you don't make flash in the pan decisions. You don't just like ship it because it's good enough. Exactly. You know, there's all this stuff that you put into a project where like, I think especially with a kid's book, like the more you pay attention to the details and the more like meaning and gravity that you bring to every single word, yeah. to every single piece of every it's single It's a puzzle image. too. It's a puzzle. It's a, it's, yeah. The, the more that project will like, it will feel good to you yeah. forever. Yeah. You know, because you know that you spent every possible brain cell like agonizing over every detail. And I think that knowing that it is such a hard field to break into, despite the fact that even if you break into it, it is never gonna be the thing that like buys you a house. Right. It's never gonna be that yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, the pressure really is on because it does kind of feel sometimes like you're taking someone's like seat yeah. that wants to be there really badly. True. And yes. I, I've noticed that I never feel like there's a wall in, I, I haven't really felt like there's that much of a wall in illustration or in certain kinds of design, but like in publishing and kids' books, there's totally there's a, a real wall. wall. There's a yes. real wall. Yep. And the the criticism and judgment within that world is much harsher totally. than it is uh, within design and illustration. It's more like music or something. It's more like yeah. music, but it's like it's like if music had a real like music is an a cool industry and there's a wall because it's hard to get into and hard to be successful and people want to make sure that like only the cream floats to the top. But I think with kids book stuff, um, you're talking about something that can have like a very intense impact on a young person's mm -hmm. life. Yeah. And they want to make sure that the garbage does not get in. And know? they're very, it's a very precious place for them on a, on an emotional level, on a personal level. Yeah. It, yeah. They're, yeah. Yeah, and sense. so yep. they don't want people approaching it uh, willy-nilly. They, willy -nilly. Don't, want, yeah. they don't, yes. don't want someone coming into the field being like, oh, I can make whatever I want because who cares? The parents will buy it. Yes. Like they want people yeah. that come in understanding True. just how important the work is and how like the books that we kind of take for granted that have been in the system for a long time yep. actually address really intense things. Yes, like, True. Like Ferdinand the Bull. Yep. That book addresses a really intense topic. Mm. which is like being born into a world that you don't belong in. Yeah. And that's yep. so crazy. Totally. You know, and like we don't stop and think about those things very much, but like the power that something that that message can have is like crazy. Yes. And so you can that's why there's such a wall. You know, mm -hmm. there's such a wall on it because there really is this ability for these things to have a really really visceral impact on people's lives. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh okay, is there any any other things that you missed in terms of tips, tricks, well, whatever, about the, approaching the tips, it? I, the other tips that I'll give about just like publishing and stuff in general is like not everybody needs to go through a publisher. 
Right. You know, like if yeah. your if your book has a really specific audience, yep. like if you're making a book about design, just self-publish it. Sure. Uh, yeah. Because Agreed. if you already have your design audience in front of you and can yeah. reach them really easily, you may as well make all that money. Yep. No reason not to. Agreed. Unless you like have absolutely zero ability to do fulfillment and don't want to handle it. Sure. That's That's a totally different thing. Yeah. Because you're going to do the all of the work of promoting that book anyway. Yep. Um, and so the only reason to work with a publisher is because you have a really good conversation with them about what you want out of the relationship and they're able to address those things really mm -hmm. directly um, because they are going to make the majority of the money off your book and you're going to do the majority of the work on the book and you need to have this like we're in it together. Vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I definitely wanted to publish my kid's book through a publisher because I felt like It'd be easy for me to to sell a book to designers, but I felt like the book had legs outside of the design world, and you're I you're gonna wanted... have no distribution outside of your yeah. Audience. And I yeah. like there's no chance that it would get into the other people's hands that aren't just in the design community if I didn't like put it out there and yep. let that happen. Yep. Um, so that's one thing that I would uh, really consider in terms of publishing anything, you know. And other other uh, designers would say the same thing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm not going to pry anymore. Thanks for doing this. This was uh, great, of course. And I uh, really appreciate you coming up here and spending a huge chunk of time chatting. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I could talk for hours. <laughs> <laughs>